you are going to want to have a piece of paper, pencil, or something to write down a few notes with, to some references, because I'm going to share some really neat stuff with you this morning from the Word. We're going to be looking at and talking about two huge theological, yes, they've even become philosophical issues, but they are very biblical. They are addressed and answered right here in Ephesians chapter 1. Two huge theological issues. They go together. You might not think so quite so much at first, but when I, as I do the message, as I preach the message, you'll see how they go together. But the one that I really, really want to emphasize and the one that I'm really trying to work toward is the second theological issue, and it is the question of all ages. It is the question of questions. It is the question that has been asked more often by more people than anyone in all the world and over all the time. It is the question of the ages. Are you ready for it? I'll tell you in just a moment. But it is, and most of you probably are already figuring or guessing, you just take your time and guess around a little bit and see how close you come in a moment. But it is the question of the ages. But before we get there, and by the way, it's answered right here in, in, in Ephesians, the first chapter. But before we get there, I'm going to preach, as we always do here at Hicker Hammock, in context. I'm not just going to take a verse or two and dangle it out here and make it say what I want it to say, but rather we're going to look at the verses before, we're going to look at the verses afterwards, we're going to put it in the context it came in, we're going to understand the book it came in, we're going to understand something about why it says what it says, so that it's not an out-of-context statement, but rather it is exactly what it was meant to say from God's Word. But in so doing, we're going to have to deal with a couple of deep words like predestined and chosen and called from the beginning of time and some of those words because they're found in Ephesians 1. And that really is not the crux of my message, although, although this is a very important uh, uh, theological issue and it does kind of dovetail in to the second point and that is in answering the question of the ages. Alright, so now just hang on with me. This is a thinking sermon, alright? It's a bit technical. I will make it interesting and followable, but I'm telling you, don't let your mind wander. Stick with me here, because I'm going to give you stuff that a lot of people sitting in a lot of churches wish that they had gotten from God's Word and an understanding that you're going to get this morning. So you hang in here and follow me, and things will, light bulbs will come on in your head if you've not dealt with these theological issues before. And I think it will give you a great and deeper understanding of some really heavy-duty stuff. When we come to these terms of predestination, we immediately think of, you know, the, the Calvinist movement, John Calvin, uh, predestination, predestined, the elect, the chosen. There are whole denominations built around these words and these concepts. These words and these concepts have confused people for hundreds of years. They have divided homes and families and churches and denominations and, yes, even nations from time to time. These words are very powerful words. They're very misunderstood words, and they are words that are often preached and taught and taken totally out of context. This morning we will put them in context because I want you to know this. The word predestined is only found four times in the entire Bible. 
four times. Now that's interesting when you consider whole denominations have been real, built around this. Now the understanding of elect and chosen, that's another double handful of times in the New Testament you'll find those words. But the word predestined that kind of gets in everybody's mind, this understanding, most people have an understanding that it means that somehow God has chosen those who are going to go to heaven and He's chosen those who are going to go to hell and somehow people just don't really have a choice in it because it's all been predetermined, predestined. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now I know that shocks some people who've been brought up to think or to or the other way or have been taught the other way, but that's not what the Bible teaches in context. I know it's what John Calvin teaches, basically. I know it's what the Calvinistic movement teaches, basically. I know it's what the predestination movement teaches, basically. But surprise of all surprises, it's not what the Bible teaches. Not at all. Not anywhere close to that. Not in its context. As I said, the word predestined is only found four times in the Bible. Interestingly enough, it's found twice in Ephesians chapter 1, and it's found twice in Romans chapter 8. So really, if you will, it's only found in two places in the Bible. Now, twice the word, the word is used in Ephesians 1, and twice it's used in Romans 8. So in two places in the Bible, the word is used four times. That's it. Now think with me for just a moment. Now hang in here. Think with me, folks. Who wrote the book of Romans? The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome. Okay? First century. Who wrote the book of Ephesians? The Apostle Paul wrote the church at Ephesus. First century. Follow me. Paul was racially and ethnically a Jew. Okay? He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee, of course, a teacher of the law. Of course, on the road to Damascus, he met the resurrected Christ, and we'll talk about that more in a few moments. But I mean, culturally, racially, ethnically, he was a Jew. All, I said all, let me say it again, all of the first Christians were they were. That's surprising to a lot of people. Most of you know it because we preach and teach this truth a lot here. Historically, that is proven. Biblically, that is proven. It was the Jews. It was the Jews. It was the nation of Israel who was even looking for the Messiah. The Gentile world wasn't looking for the Messiah. They knew those crazy Jews were. See, it was the Jews that had the Old Testament. It was the Jews that had the nation of Israel. It was the Jews that had the promise of God. It was the Jews that had the promise given to Abraham. It was the Jews that had the prophets. It was the Jews that had the law. It was the Jews that had the temple and the worship and the sacrificial system. It was the Jews who had all the prophecies of a coming one who would come and deliver Israel and ultimately the world. It was the Jews who were looking for the Christ. It was the Jews who were looking for the Messiah. Paul was a Jew. And so when Jesus Christ came, when he died on Calvary's cross, when he rose again and presented him, himself alive and then subsequently uh, sometime later when Paul came to a saving grace in Jesus Christ it was Jesus Christ who they were recognized and proclaimed as the Christ and the Messiah and so it was the Jews who came to Jesus and bowed their knee not all of them but a bunch of them and said you are the Messiah you are the Christ you're the one who we have been looking for it was the Jews who were the first to be saved it was the Jews the first Christian church was born in downtown Jerusalem at Acts chapter 2 in Pentecost. They were all Jews. 
Jews were doing the preaching. Jews from, it says, God-fearing Jews from every nation under earth heard them speaking in their own native tongues. The gift of tongues was the ability to speak in a known language, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that all the world would hear. It was the Jews, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven gathered at that place. They heard the gospel, and the church was born in downtown Jerusalem. Peter was the first pastor. Peter was a Jewish disciple, fisherman of Jesus Christ. Later when Paul would be saved, he understood that he had a mission directly from the Lord to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Now to the Jews as well. He took it to the whole world. He would often go to a city and start his ministry in a synagogue. But from there, he would often be thrown out on his ear. <laughs> but from there, he would go out into the community and try to reach the Gentiles. Paul understood that his basic ministry was to reach the Gentile world. He understood that Peter's basic ministry was to reach the Jewish world. He says that in Galatians. He says that in Ephesians. He says that in the book of Acts. But it was the Jews who first hoped in Jesus Christ. It was the Jews. Now follow me. Who was the promise given to by God through Abraham? The Jews. Who was the nation that was chosen by God to birth the Word of God, to birth the prophets, to birth the Messiah? It was Israel, the Jews. Was Israel then predetermined by God? Well, of course. Was Israel then, if you will, elected by God to do this? When he told Abraham, Abraham, out of your seed, I will bless the earth. I will take you to a land that's not your land. I will take you to the land of Canaan. Abraham, from there you will settle and your descendants will follow. They will inherit the land. They will possess the land. Out of you I will rise up a mighty kingdom. Out of you I will bring up a mighty king. Out of you will come the Messiah. Out of you will come the prophets. Out of you, Abraham, will come the word of God. Did God elect Abraham? Yeah. Did God elect Israel and predetermine and predestine Israel? Yes. Can God do such things? Well, of course He's God. Is God sovereign over all the earth and everything in it and all the heavens? You believe that? Yes. So Paul, who's a Jew, out of the nation of Israel, who was on the Damascus road one day deciding that he was going to be a Christian. Oh, did I miss that? Actually, he was on the Damascus road one day deciding to go kill some Christians. When Jesus Christ revealed himself to him, struck him down, blinded by his glory, three days later because of a prophet by the name of Ananias came revealing to him the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul giving his life to that truth, following the Lord in believer's baptism, and then after three years of searching his soul with God and with Jesus revealing to him, Paul takes off into ministry to the Gentiles. Paul, a Jew, understanding that now the Christ had come and revealed himself to him, understanding that the Jewish church was out there, it had to reach the Gentiles, understanding that Paul and the Jews of that day had been raised up by God, elect by God, predestined by God, set aside by God, had been called by God to take the gospel to the world. And all Paul is saying when he talks about being predestined, he's saying, I'm overwhelmed that God would use me. And that I'm living in the day when the Christ has come. The promise has come. And I'm living in that day, Paul was saying. And then God would appear to me and choose me to preach the gospel to the world. Paul said, yes, I was chosen. Paul even had a sense maybe before the creation of the world 
It's all in God's plan. It's all in God's timing because I'm a remnant of the nation of Israel who will believe in the Christ and will take his gospel message to the ends of the earth to be a light, yes, even unto the Gentiles. And whenever Paul uses those words predestined in Ephesians chapter 1, he talks about we who are the first to hope in Christ, we who are predestined, we who are called, we who are elect. It has nothing to do with Milton, Florida, 2006, some preacher standing in a pulpit saying, you were chosen to go to heaven, you were chosen to go to hell, you were chosen to go to heaven, you were chosen to go to hell, and we all got to figure out who it is. How stupid. How ridiculous. Yet there are denominations built around this kind of folklore, traditional teaching. Churches and denominations and families that have split over a misunderstanding of the Scriptures. Initiated and brought about by a man by the name of John Calvin. Said, well, preacher, you have something bad to say about John Calvin? Yeah, he was an idiot. Can I, how, you want to know how I really feel? But, but he lived hundreds of years ago. He's dead now. He wrote all kind of books. Oh, well, excuse me then. Never mind. He was absolutely 100% correct then. What? Well, because he lived 100 years ago and wrote some books? Folks, he missed the contextual understanding of the Scriptures. He missed it. Do you believe that humans are capable of that? And if you knew the history of John Calvin and what was happening in his day and time, he was, had an idea, he had a concept of how all of that might be, and that's okay. But he began to write about it. Other people found out about it. There was another guy who had kind of an opposing view, and of all things, they were rushing to press, trying to get out a book to see who could be published first, to see who could get the most money first. I'm so glad we don't do that in the Christian world today, aren't y'all? Can you feel my pain? And so he rushed to press with all this stuff and he kept writing and he kept proliferating it and people followed him. Before long, there were followers of Calvin. I don't know about y'all, but I'm a follower of Jesus. And I'm a follower of the contextual understanding of the Word of God. But they were followers of Calvin and then the denominations came up and then churches split off and people split off and they were all following the five points of Calvinism and this and that and predestined and I was chosen and you're not. And Paul is probably going berserk in the heavens, hollering down right now, you idiots! Read what I wrote! In Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read it in just a moment. Paul's very, very, very clear. He says, we, we who are the first to hope. And then we're going to look. Now, y'all look at me. Don't look at the Scripture yet, because I promise we're going to see it. And then in a few verses, he says, but you also. And then he shifts his tone, and he begins to speak to the Gentiles in the church at Ephesus. He said, but you also were included with us us Jews, in, in the kingdom when you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and you were saved and you were born again. I'll show you that in just a moment. Folks, it couldn't be any clearer. And some of you, when you see it, you're going to say, well, how could people have missed that? How could John Calvin miss that? How could the church have missed that? Folks, because people don't read the Bible. They read books about the Bible. And they listen to people talk about the Bible without bringing their Bibles to church and without reading it, without studying it, and they don't know. And they pass along tradition and folklore generation after generation until denominations are built around it. And when a denomination gets built around it, then we have to guard that, right? Or our denomination's no good, right? You see how, how it can all go south real quick? We're going to see this in just a moment, but hang in here. I want to show you something because I said in the beginning that the word predestined was also used in Romans chapter 8. Did I not say that? 
That's the only other place where it's used. You say, well, who's Paul? All right, now, who wrote that? Paul. Who's he writing to? The church at Rome. church at Rome was made up primarily of Jews who live in Rome. Now, there are Gentiles in the church as well. There are. Paul writes to the Gentiles in Romans chapter 11 and following. He talks about how they were grafted in. They were grafted into the olive tree and brought in through the gospel as a part of Israel, a part of the kingdom of God. And Paul writes about that. But before that, in Romans 8, who's he talking to? Well, if you go back to Romans 2, he says, I'm writing to you Jews. Those are his words. It can't be any clearer than that. Then when you go to Romans chapter 7, he says, now I'm talking to you who know the law. Who's that that knows the law? The Jews. And then in Romans 8, he starts talking again about how in this present time we've been predestined, predestined, those whom God has predestined, he knew and foreknew and he takes care of and he empowers and he uses for his glory. Paul's talking again about his Jewishness, his heritage in the nation of Israel and he's overwhelmed that God could and use, could and would use him for the, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now folks... I believe we're living in the trumpet days. You know that. I believe the trumpets are blowing. Israel was reborn. Israel came to birth in 1948. The gospel is being preached into all the world. I think the trumpets are blowing. If I'm correct in that and we are living near the last days, then I want you to know something. I am overwhelmed that God would choose to put me in these days and times, and that he would choose to use me to preach his word all over the world. He would choose to use me as one of his servants. Are you overwhelmed that God would choose to put you in the trumpet days near the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would use you to tell people, family, friends, next-door neighbors, people you work with, he would use you to teach in the church, to sing in the church, to work in the church, to in the church that he would use you to spread the gospel are you overwhelmed that God would use you or did you just wake up one morning and say oh I knew God would choose me <laughs> you looked in the mirror and said how could God not choose me huh which one are you and in the middle of all that I have a sense of the day I remember when I chose to give my life to Jesus Christ but when I think beyond that I'm also very very aware that I didn't just get up one morning and decide to be a Christian. That all before that God was working in my life. God had put people in my life. He had put messages in my life. He had pulled me. He had gr grabbed me through His Holy Spirit, through, through my conscience, through my brain, through, through the gospel, through the preaching, through witnesses. I'm very aware that I didn't just get up one day and say, I think I'm going to be a Christian. Can you follow me there? So I also am overwhelmed. That even though I can truly tell somebody about the day that I chose to give my life to Jesus Christ, I'm also overwhelmed that in the midst of all of God's plan, somehow He put me here now to do this. And I'm like Paul. I am overwhelmed. I feel somehow that God has put His hand of election on me in all of this. But at the same time, I know that I am very accountable for the choices that I make. Are you all with me so far? I know that's a bit technical, but before I can even get to my sermon this morning, <laughs> now see, I'm scaring some of y'all to death. I know the new people are saying, Lord, we, Mabel, we're going to be here for three hours. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's the way we do it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We'll be out of here soon, but just, just follow me. So when we get to this, these words predestined here in Ephesians 1, all we're going to do now is we're going to actually read the text. I'm going to point out a few things that I just told you about. I'm going to point them to you. And then, after I've shown you that, I'm going to stop, I'm going to take a breath, and then I'm going to tell you what I really have to share with you this morning. 
But it's found right there in that text. The answer to the question of all the ages. Okay? Are you ready now? Whenever you hear the words chosen and elect and predestined, think now, put it in context. Paul, a Jew, is talking to the Jews in the church at Ephesus about his overwhelmingness, how great thou art, God. That's why we sang that song, about how great you are. I can't even fathom what you're doing in your plan and that you've included me in it. That's all Paul is saying. And then watch the shift as he shifts from talking to the Jews to then talking to the Gentiles. Watch, and you'll see it. You're going to say, how could people have missed this? And again, it's because so many folks are looking for an ism to follow rather than to just read the Word of God and, say what it, and follow what it says. Look with me, Ephesians chapter 1. Beginning with verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, because one day I just decided to be... Are y'all following me? <laughs> Did I just fool you? See, 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 you got to have your Bibles now because that's not what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus. And the word saints means the separated ones, the chosen one, the Christians in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Can you say amen and thank you Jesus? Amen. You say, blessed us in the heavenly realms? Well, I want to be blessed here. Well, you are blessed here. What does it mean blessed in the heavenly realms? Well, let's stop and think about it. If you're a born-again Christian this morning, you got your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life in the heavenly realms. Are you glad for that blessing? Okay. If you're a born-again Christian this morning, let me tell you what else you've got in the heavenly realms. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go up there and prepare a place for you, I'm going to, pre- I'm going to come back and receive you so that you in my Father's house there are many mansions and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. You've got that blessing in the heavenly realms. I can't wait to see my mansion in glory. How about you? Okay, thank you, ma'am. Appreciate it. Okay. Rest of them say, no, nah, we, <laughs> we don't want to see that. <laughs> Blessings in the heavenly realms through Jesus Christ. Keep reading. Paul's, you know, he's got a salutation going here. He's uh, uh, using very illustrative language. Verse 4. For he chose us, that is God, chose us in him, that is Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us, and you can put in there us Jews, us from Israel, us in this generation, to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he, that is God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And in Him, that is Jesus, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ, who was that? Do you see what he's talking about? It's clear to see. In order that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Now watch the shift. Verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. 
Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance into the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Y'all look at me for a moment. Let's pretend for a moment that I'm Paul and I'm a Jew. And you're the early church. And there's some, let's say, all the Jews are over here and all the Gentiles are over here. Now, they would not have sat that way in the early church. But for the sake of this illustration, let's say, Jews are over here, Gentiles are over here. But you're the church together under Jesus Christ. I come in and I say, I just, I'm overwhelmed. Aren't you overwhelmed with me that God has chosen us before the beginning of all things through our father Abraham? He chose us to bring forth the Messiah. He chose us to take the gospel to the world, to the Gentiles, and and that he chose us through the blood of Jesus, but he chose us, he predestined, he elected. I'm overwhelmed that I'm here a part of this, seeing the Christ come, aren't you? And the Jews would say, amen. And then I say, but you also were included with us when you heard the gospel. When you heard the gospel and you believed and you received the Holy Spirit of God, and now together we're all one body in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. How much simpler could it be than that? How much simpler could it be than that? Wars have been fought over the misunderstanding of this scripture. People have died. In case you still are wondering... Now, did Paul really shift and start talking to the Gentiles there? If you read the Bible, it'll tell you. Look at chapter 2. Look at verse 11. Paul's still talking after verse 13. He's never changed his tense. And then in verse 11 of chapter 2, he says, Therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, that would be the legalist of the Jews, Remember that at this time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel. See, that's what the whole thing's about. And foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Folks, y'all look at me. If I was Paul, and these were the Jews, and this was the Gentiles, and this was the church of Ephesus, I would say, and, and I, after I would, had said all that I just said, and I would say, but now, now... You Gentiles, don't you understand? You were once far away. I mean, at least Israel, at least we had the word. We had the prophets. We had the promise. We had Abraham. We had Moses. We had Elijah. We had the coming of the Messiah on our brains and on our hearts. Y'all were separated from all of that. But now through Jesus, you've been included with us. And now you're a part of Israel. And together, we are all God's people in God's kingdom through Jesus Christ. See, that's how that letter would have been read to the church. Is that understandable? I'm just a little old country preacher. I understand it. Y'all understand it? It's really not that hard. Now I can preach. (laughs) Now, now I can get to what I wanted to get to. (laughs) Because what I want to get to is a jewel. It's a nugget of gold buried right in the middle of all that that we just read. It answers the question of life. But I couldn't just, I didn't, I couldn't do it justice. See, what I could do is I could pull it out and dangle it aside, teach it to you. You would all go out of here saying, oh, now I know the answer to that question. And then someone would say, but what about these verses before and these verses after? And you'd say, Brother Carl didn't tell us that. See? But you won't have to say that. Because I probably told you more than you wanted to know already, don't you think? (laughs) 
So what's the question of the universe? What's the question of the ages? What's the question that has plagued mankind from the beginning of time? What's the question that they still write books about, that they still fill libraries with, that they still have talk shows on, that they still have books of education and learning trying to figure it out? What's the question? Here's the question. And the answer, the answer is clear, and it's right there in God's Word. Here's the question, though. The question is, what is the meaning and purpose of life? Now, you ready for this? Here's the best answer that the world could come up with. I mean, we can put people on the moon. We can build supersonic jets. We can build atomic bombs. We can build the Internet, or at least Al Gore could. Just a little humor there. We can make cell phones where we take a little black box and we talk into it and our voice is translated into electrical energy and it shoots off of a satellite in space, lands on the other side of the world in somebody else's little black box. Instantly, we call it cell phone communication. We can invent all of that. We know that. We have all this knowledge and all this. We drive in cars 70, 80 miles an hour down super highways and trains and trucks and planes and, and we know all of this. But the best we could come up with to the question that is asked by more people, more times, more places, what's the meaning and purpose of life? The best we can come up with is there is no meaning and purpose. It's all an accident and you came from a monkey. That's it. That's the best the world can do. When you put it like that, it sure sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? That's the best that our great minds could... Because see, when you spit in the face of God, you turn from His truth, and you say, there is no God, then what are you left with? A monkey. That's it. What are you left with? Evolution. You know what Romans chapter 1 says about those people? We build universities and we build schools of anthropology. And we give doctors degrees. And we... And we, we educate our young people and we tell them there is no God. It's all a big cosmic accident. You see, there was a big bang one day. And then a slime turned into a rock and a rock turned into a life. And then life turned into an amoeba and amoeba. Turned, and then finally they called out the monkeys and then the, a man came from a monkey and here we are. And isn't that wonderful? And y'all are going, what? And we have, thank you, baby. And we have, see, she doesn't understand a word I'm saying, but she knows I'm funny. <laughs> <laughs> and she's, thank you for the monkey. Is that your cousin you brought to church with you, Dwayne? Who brought you? Oh, okay, thank you, baby. Thanks for bringing the prop. I appreciate that so much. You just hang on to your little uncle right there and just hang, hold him, hold him close there, sugar. And then, isn't that ridiculous? And Romans chapter 1 says about all that, professing to be wise, we have become fools. See, 10 of you knew the word. <laughs> Romans chapter 1. Isn't that amazing? Why are we here? What is the meaning and purpose of life? Oh, I know. Some of you say, well, I've got a job, and I protect people, or I do this, and I teach people. And I... No, 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 no. That's, that's what you do for a living. I'm talking about what's the purpose and meaning of life. Why are there 8 billion people on a big blue marble being slung through space at thousands of miles an hour, hung in a precise distance from the sun so that life can be here. A few miles closer to the sun, we all burn up. A few miles further away from the sun, we all freeze. The earth is spinning on its axis at just the precise speed to keep me planted to this platform. 
If it slows down a little bit, I start floating into space. If it speeds up a little bit, I go from 220 pounds to 400 pounds and my heart fails. That's what happens. All of it perfectly balanced so that a butterfly can perch on the edge of a limb right outside in the yard today. What's the meaning and purpose of that? It just all happened by accident? Or is there something going on? Is there a plan? Is there a cosmic plan of the universe? Libraries are filled with books trying to answer it, and the Bible answers it in two verses, which is just one sentence. And it's found nestled in the text we read, and we will now read it by itself, but it's not out of context now, since you now know the rest of the story. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. God made known to us the mystery of His will. In other words, God made known to us what He's up to. According to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. And here it is. Here's God's purpose. Here's the meaning and purpose of life. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, folks, I'm going to explain that. I'm going to go a little deeper, as you know I would. <laughs> but I mean, that's it in a nutshell. Just as John 3.16 is the gospel in a nutshell and kind of tells you everything you need to know about the gospel in one sentence, this is the meaning and purpose of life in a nutshell. Just as we can preach a hundred sermons on John 3.16, yes, I could preach a hundred sermons on the meaning and purpose of life, but this is the meaning, this is the purpose, there it is, for God is purposing to bring everything together in heaven and earth, and I'm going to explain what that means, under one head, even Jesus Christ, together. That's the plan of the cosmos, of the universe. It is not an accident. It was not a big bang that just accidentally happened. We didn't crawl out of a sludge pond and we didn't come from monkeys, but rather we are, as God's Word says in Genesis, the crowning glory of His creation, created at the breath of God Himself, created in the image of God, created with the soul of God, the breath of God, the Spirit of God, implanted within our very hearts and minds for the purpose of coming together with every creature in heaven and on earth one day to rule and reign and to live with Him forever. Now, I know that's kind of a philosophical concept, but let me explain it now in a way that I think everyone will understand. It says that God's purpose, the mystery of His will, has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ. Now, what is God up to? He's bringing everything together. And it will all happen when the times have been fulfilled. That's what it just said, at the fulfillment of all things. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Watch. Now watch. Point A would be the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Point Z would be the seventh trumpet, if you will. And then the new heaven and the new earth coming down. We read about that in Revelation, right? B, C, D, E, F, G, H, H, I, K, L, M, N, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y is this ugly little four-letter word called life and history. But now watch. 
Point A is where God stepped in and he formed the earth. And we read about it in Genesis. He spoke in the sun. He spoke in the moon and the stars. He, bre- he molds man out of the dust of the earth. He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. Man stands and speaks and God communes with man. That's the crowning glory of his creation. But before that, what was there? We do know this. We don't know how long before. But we do know that before even that, God had another creation. Now follow me in the heavenly realms. The book of Job and the book of Psalms says, When man was created, that the angels sang for glory. The morning stars shouted for joy at what God was doing as he said to this creation that he already had surrounded himself with in what we call the heavenlies. The more, and and as, as they watched this unfold and as God creates the man and then one of those angelic beings looked upon the worship he was receiving, looked upon the beauty of all that he saw, looked upon it with jealousy and envy. And he steps into that garden. And he begins to pull this creation away from the Creator. Did God really say? No, God just knew that if you did that, then you would be like Him. And You remember that? And the veil was dropped. Now people ask, well, did God know there would be sin? We're going to answer that question in just a moment. Hang on. Well, did God know Satan would do that? We're going to answer that question in just a moment. Hang on. But we've got the heavenly realm. The Bible says... In Revelation, when it gives this panoramic of the whole thing, it says a third of the angels in heaven left with Lucifer. There was rebellion in heaven, the Bible says. In the heavenlies, there were choices being made. Before the throne of God, the all-powerful, all-creating, all-knowing God, these three free-thinking beings, creatures, if you will, the angelic realm, beings, not human, but human-like, if you will, these beings that God, the sovereign creator of the universe, had made. Then he stoops down, forms the earth, stoops into the dust of that earth, brings out a man from it, and the beings go, wow, and they worship him and they adore him. One of them steps away and says, I want that. I want your worship. I want this. I want this beauty. I want it all. And a third of the angels said, according to the scriptures, we want it with you. Yes, we'll go with you. Now follow me. But in the meantime, you say, well, why didn't God just stop it all then? Because that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to allow it to go from point A to point Z. Why? Because in the midst of it is this thing called life. And aren't y'all glad God gave us life? Aren't you glad you're here? Yeah. Now listen, this thing called life overall is very wonderful. We have family, we have friends, we have hobbies, we have things that we like, we have enjoyments, we have, you know, the the, the beauty of all that God's created, we have the exploration of it all, we have the knowledge that we can attain, we have love, we cling to life, we take vitamins to cling to life, we take pills to cling to life, we go to doctors to cling to life, we do all that we can to prolong our life, we do all that we can to have as long of a life as possible, but even with all that clinging to life and all that beauty of life, we also so know that life can be pretty stinky sometimes too, even for God's people. Because even in the midst of this, there's crime and corruption and pollution and disease and lying and stealing and thieving and murdering and raping and wars and pestilence and death and destruction, even in the midst of all that. And even with all that, what do we do? We take pills and vitamins to hang on to life. 
Am I right? But in the midst of all of that, there's an old rugged cross and an empty tomb. And the outstretched hand of God saying, Hey, A to Z, this is really important, but this ain't what it's all about. Because I'm moving everything towards a purpose. What's the purpose? Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10. All things one day in heaven, <laughs> over here, and on earth, over here, are going to be together, and over here, with me under Jesus Christ. It's coming, y'all. It's coming. All things in heaven. All right, so what's this thing called life then? You know, I want it to be a pleasure paradise. I want everything to be perfect in my life. Well, I'm sorry, that ain't going to happen. This is not a pleasure paradise. Most of us have figured that out. Those that haven't figured it out yet, hang on a week or two, month or two, year or two, you'll find out. It is not. Well, what's all this about? Hang on, I'm getting ready to tell you the secret. Y'all ready? Here's the secret of life. What's A to Z about? It is boot camp. It's boot camp. It's a cos cosmos universal, yes, test. It's a test to see, even in the midst of the wonderful things of life and or the junk of life, who will bow their knee and say, Jesus, yet will I serve you. Yet will I serve you. Because the best the world can offer is you came from a monkey and there is no God. And you can bow your knee to that. And then when Z comes, spend eternity in hell separated from God. Because you made the choice. Or you can bow your knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and be a part of God's plan of the cosmos. And live with Him forever under one head, Jesus Christ. All of heaven and earth together. It's your choice. It's our choice. Now, on the scale of A to Z, you know where I think the world is? X, Y, maybe. The trumpets are blowing. Isn't it interesting? You know what the world calls our generation? <laughs> generation X and Generation Y. Why did they pick X and Y? Don't they know that after Z, there ain't no more? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me at some of the terminology the world picks sometimes and they don't even know what they're doing. I think we are Generation X and Generation Y. How did Jesus describe himself in, in, the, in Revelation? He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and I am the last. Let me translate that to English. I am the A and I am the Z. I am everything in between, I'm everything before, and I'm everything after. I am life. If I didn't exist, you guys wouldn't exist. Don't answer out loud, but in this stage of boot camp test, how are you doing? <laughs> how are you doing? Do you have a biblical worldview or a worldly worldview, secular worldview. You think you came from an ape? 
Or do you think God created you in his holy image and that there is meaning and purpose and worth and dignity and value to life and this world is moving from point A to point Z in a linear fashion and it's soon our history will come to an end and then God's plan of the ages will be fulfilled under one head, even Jesus Christ. Which is your worldview? See, that's what life is all about. I enjoy having as much pleasure in my life as possible. I enjoy that. But I also know that my life is not going to always be filled with pleasure. I've had my share of pain, and I know more is coming. But I also know that's not what life is about, to see how much pleasure I can get. But life is about living to lift up Jesus. Life is about bringing glory and honor to the creator of the universe so that I can pass boot camp, so that I can live with him forever and do whatever else it is that he has for me forever and ever to do. And I'm going to be like Paul right now and say, I am overwhelmed by that. I am overwhelmed that in these trumpet days in the year 2006 in the United States of America that I am alive and that I am preaching the gospel and that I am your pastor and that somehow in all of that God chose me, you chose me and I made some choices and here we are together and I can talk about predestined and elect all I want but it's not with arrogance, it's with a humble adoration and an overwhelming uh, unbelief that God is awesome and great. How great thou are you overwhelmed that God would allow you to be alive and that he would allow you to be born and that he would allow you to be here, that he would allow you to be a teacher, singer, worker, evangelist, missionizer, uh, a, a, a Christian that speaks the truth, knows the truth? Uh, uh, are you overwhelmed that God is using you in his plan of the universe? And he knows you by name and if you're born again and covered by the blood that your name is written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life, are you overwhelmed by that? What's the meaning and purpose of life? Oh my gosh. That's why when a child of God who knows this, when something comes along in life, and you notice I didn't say if, I said when something comes along in life that's devastating. A doctor tells you something you don't want to hear. Or you get a phone call you didn't want to get. Or somebody does something to you you didn't want to have. But some horrible thing comes into your life. The born-again child of God who knows the purpose of life, rather than raising our fist and saying, why me? We say, okay, I'm in boot camp. What now? What now? What now? How in the midst of this? How now? What now? do I do to bring glory to you? Now that my circumstances have been changed, I've been promoted, I'm in a different place. What now, Lord? God looks at those at the end of Z and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enter into your glory. Well done. Well done. You say, yeah, but I've had pain, I've had heartache, I've lost loved ones, I've lost... Folks, if you're a born-again child of God, hang on. I don't understand it all. I don't know how, but here's what God says. He says, on that day, there'll be no more crying, no more pain. God says, I'll make everything new, and it'll all be worth it. I will make it right. That's what God's Word says. How's it going to do that, Carl? I don't know. I'm just the messenger boy. I ain't God. I don't know, but I know He will. I know He's promised it, and I know I'm going to hang on to Z. How about y'all? Okay, so believe it or not, we've come to the conclusion of my message. So now, we ask ourselves a couple of questions before we go to the Lord in prayer. 
If you are a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't answer out loud, but question number one, are you overwhelmed this morning? Now that you know what you know about who you are and why you're here and what it's all about, are you overwhelmed with Paul, with me? And number two, if you're a born-again child of God, named, written in the Lamb's Book of Life, um, has God fired you up a little bit this morning? Maybe to be a little more serious along with me and along with this church about what we're here for? Can you pray about and look for ways this week and the rest of your life to look for ways to live, to lift him up? That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Another question. For those that might be here this morning, you've never said, Jesus, please save me. You've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Here's a question for you. Now that you know the truth, what will you choose? 